This is a Boardwalk Audio podcast. Jeff Bezos is my daddy, and the best way to support my daddy is by going to boardwalkaudio.com slash oncomedywriting, and click the supporter artist button, shop on Amazon like Nurlywood, and I get a little kickback. Please feed the daddy. <laughs> This week's episode of On Comedy Writing is brought to you by Malia Obama. On Comedy Writing, On Comedy Writing. Thanks for downloading this episode of On Comedy Writing, the podcast about the business and craft of writing comedy. I'm your host, Alan Johnson. This is the second episode of the same Sketch Pitch April. It's going great. Hope you're tracking it at home. Uh, our guest this week is Glenn Buzan. Glenn is a UCB New York person who's done some humor writing at like the New Yorker, as well as worked at Adam Ruins Everything, and most recently at I Love You America. Good episode. So here is Glenn Buzan. Uh, Glenn, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, where are you from originally? Originally, I'm from Los Angeles, actually. Oh, cool. Yeah, what part of Los Angeles? Uh, I grew up in the Valley, Sherman Oaks, for like first 11 years or so. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, I say like a lot still, so <laughs> I still like, talk like this, like kind of. Um, and then I moved to like the Pacific Palisades, Santa Monica area okay. um, after that, and then grew up in Santa Monica, kind of. Mm-hmm. And then moved to New York for about seven years for college, and then I'm back here. Seems like most people do the uh, if they if they live in L.A. or if they're growing up in L.A. they want to get out and go somewhere else. Yeah, I think it with my grade it was half and half where half the kids have never left California and half the kids went as far away as they mm-hmm. could. Yeah, so did, that was me. Did you like growing up in the in the valley in Santa Monica? Um, the valley was a, is a great place for kids to grow up. It's we mm-hmm. had sidewalks and like the schools were great and I had great friends. Um, and yeah, it was just like fun to be a kid there. Um, and then Santa Monica, I went to like a hoity, like not hoity, like a, it was a private school that was like in Santa Monica and kind of like liberal and cool. And, mm-hmm. and so I had, I think a weirder high school than most people. <laughs> and I realized that when I went to college, like I had a fake ID at age 15 and would like hang out on the Damn. sunset strip. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, that's yeah. like legit. Yeah. Not like every weekend, but, yeah. but enough that. I yeah, <laughs> that I was like that was what we would do for fun. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Sunset Strip still scares me today. <laughs> oh yeah, it scares me. Yeah. I didn't want to be doing that. <laughs> I hated it. It was it was so intimidating. It scared me. I wasn't cool. <laughs> I just went with people to do stuff. <laughs> and a lot of house parties. It was mostly house parties. Yeah. Oh yeah. Hell yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Me too. Hell yeah. Me too. <laughs> I love a good house party. Yeah. It's my favorite thing. It is funny. Uh, I feel like in L.A. There's. Um, well, I guess there's not much hanging out. <laughs> like, there's not like many parties yeah. in general. There's like one once every three months. There's a dinner party or a game night with a lot of married couples, and yeah. then that's <laughs> yeah. There's not a lot of let's tr- get just back to our, let's get back to our youth with our house parties. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, what kind of so stuff were you watching growing up? Ooh, growing up, my dad had the most uh, influence on me comedically. So like The Simpsons, uh, South Park. Um, I Your guess dad was a big South Park fan? Oh, when the Whoa. premiere of South Park, I was, I think, like, eight or nine. Like, I was too young to be mm-hmm. watching it. But the premiere of South Park, he sat my brother and I down, made a bowl of popcorn, and was like, we're going to watch the premiere of this amazing comedy <laughs> show. Because he had seen the the Christmas card they had done. Like, the, the it wasn't a pilot presentation, but he had seen their work before. 
And he was like, these guys are so funny. Wow. So we made, made an event of it, the premiere of South Park. Yeah. That's a hip dad. Very hip. Or um, irresponsible. <laughs> I'm yeah, not sure yeah, if yeah. hip is the right word. <laughs> a cool dad, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, even just knowing about the South Park guys oh, before yeah. South Park. He's, he has a very good sense of, like, he is really, has great taste in comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Him and I, that's where I get my full comedic uh, sensibility from mm-hmm. is, yeah. He likes uh, like good British humor and stuff, and you know, and and really good niche, like actually funny stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What kind of British stuff uh, would you guys watch? Oh, okay. well, not not us would watch, but like uh-huh. I think like uh, like Monty Python stuff, and like he loved that, and just I think kind of anything absurdist, but you know, um, like kind of like the dumber the better, sort of like yeah, right. That kind of stuff is is up my alley. Yeah. Were you doing any like uh, comedy stuff growing up? No, just like bits at the family dinner table. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, my dad's side of the family, I like would do bits, and I didn't even know that's what they were called. So it, that was just kind of like conversation. So when somebody was like, "Oh, that, yeah, we're doing a bit," I was like, "Wait, what? We're just having a conversation." So, um, I didn't do anything in high school. I wrote a couple of comedic scenes for. Um, I did drama in high school because there wasn't really anything else to do because we didn't have a lot of sports. Um, or we had sports, I just wasn't good at them. Um, and so I did uh, a few, I wrote like a couple comedic scenes, and I used the word comedic so loosely. Like it was, there was no structure, it was so bad. I, I can't even remember, I'm sure I could probably find them in in my computer somewhere, but yeah. Did you want to do, did you know you want to do like uh, entertainment business, or entertainment stuff? Entertainment business. Yeah. <laughs> I knew I wanted to be in the movies! <laughs> Um, no, grow, uh, like growing up, I had no idea. I didn't know that it was a job. I guess mm-hmm. I just assumed, I just looked at all the writers' rooms and I looked at writers and I went, oh, you have to be like an old Jewish white guy to, <laughs> to write. And that was it. Like that was, there was no way I would ever. And I was like, also where, how do you train for something like that? Like there's no class in high school called like comedy writing 101 or whatever. Right. And, um, and so I just, I went to, I went to actually Boston university for two years and then I tra- went to New York, but uh, just for psychology because I, I was like, oh, I like people. Like, mm-hmm. sure. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I didn't even know it was an option. And did you, uh, did you like like taking psychology? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was interesting. I still remember some, it comes in handy when I'm kind of doing armchair psychology for my friends now. We're like, oh yeah, this, I remember this thing I learned uh, like in <laughs> like childhood development 101 or whatever. But um, other than that, it was, you realize very quickly that, <clears throat> You have two paths if you want to do psychology. You can either become a clinic, a clinical, or no, um, like a therapist, or you can you'll be like killing lab rats all day. Right. And so I was like, oh, I don't want to do either of those things. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I, I think that was kind of just my I don't know what I want to do yet phase. Do you think uh, your psychology uh, background, I guess, or whatever <laughs> your classes? Do you think that ever comes in handy when you're writing? Um, no, <laughs> I wish it did. I really do. But like the more you analyze people, the less funny they get. I think just mm. like saying how people are is what's funny. It's not like explaining how they are. Yeah. Um, and when you do explain people through psychology, it gets like kind of didactic and boring. Um, and comedy, I don't think at its best is supposed to be, um, like informational. <laughs> right. Right. Well, it's interesting cause people do, I know people, some people like when they write like pilots or something, they like know everything about the character. Yeah, well, that's fine. I mean, uh-huh. knowing everything about the character is great. I think mm-hmm. like having a good psychology of your character is is a great practice if that's what works for you. But mm-hmm. I guess just I'm not interested in a scene where someone goes, "Oh, the reason he did that funny thing is because his dad didn't love him when he and uh, right, and was right. mean to him and his mom or whatever." You know, like I don't 
need to see the trauma behind the funny. I think mm-hmm. <laughs> we all know it's there, but I don't think we want to see that in a comedy. Right. Yeah. So then you, you, you went to NYU? No, I went to BU for two years. Okay. And then um, I'm not smart enough to get into NYU. No. no. <laughs> I remember in high school, I told my dean I was applying to Harvard because like you have to just apply to Harvard. Yeah. You're, I was like, oh, it's I'll spend 40 bucks for the admissions fee or whatever. <laughs> and I said, he was like, what schools are you applying to? I was like, blah, blah, blah. I was like, and I'm applying to Harvard. And he goes, really? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, wow, thanks for the fucking vote of confidence. <laughs> um, no, I went to BU and then I transferred to Parsons. Okay. So I did graphic design. Around the same time I realized I wanted to do comedy, I also realized I wanted to do graphic design huh. as a day job to make money. Uh-huh. Um, and I actually legitimately love graphic design, so it was... Yeah, graphic design's it's awesome. It's great. Yeah. And it's also uh, it's such a fun like thing for comedy, too. That must come in handy. Oh, it was so helpful. I mean, I made, I, I, like, made money. Uh, my freelance job for a long time was like making posters for friends for their comedy shows. Mm-hmm. And it also was really nice... like. If you're talking like network development exec stuff, like they'll always be like, okay, what? But what's the poster look like? What does the poster? Right. Look? And there is a part of me that really believes that, where it's like, right, what would you see on this poster? What is the thing that's going to grab you? Mm-hmm. And I think it maybe gave me also a more visual bent to my comedy. I love like physical, like any moment that you can physicalize rather than verbalize to me is so is w- way better. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I um I taught myself Photoshop. You did, so did I. That's great. Well, yeah, except I mean, <laughs> I like barely know how to use it. <laughs> I would say I taught myself Photoshop since like I yeah. did more than I have. Yeah, um, I could teach you. I'm very good at it. It's the only thing I'm comfortable about bra- of bragging about is mm-hmm. that I'm very good at Photoshop. All right, let's, let's stop recording. Let's I'll <laughs> yeah, turn the right. computer your way. Exactly right. Um, yeah. but it's I just I I do find it very creatively fulfilling doing stuff on Photoshop. It's just nice to have. I mean, especially since we live in such a digital age um it's just to me i feel like everyone should have a basic understanding on how to manipulate an image to be what you want like either cropping or uh, brightening or you know levels manipulation or whatever it is mm-hmm. just some basic like i can put text on an image and crop it and then export it to a jpeg or whatever right. like that's the basic having that feels powerful to me it mm. feels yeah like a you have control over stuff do you ever use it like um, for jokes? Like for instance, like because that's what that's all yeah, I use Photoshop yeah. for. Oh yeah, I mean, uh-huh. well, I used to work in this place called Above Average back mm-hmm. in New York, and that was, I mean, before we got a, a full time graphics person, I was doing like most of the graphics for if there we wanted any funny graphics, and I think the graphic a lot of times in like article digital based comedy is sometimes the whole joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because, uh, and those are look really good in general. What so, like yeah. those like graphics? Oh, for, like the on online, like the Photoshop stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think the Onion had a really great Photoshop department for a long time, mm-hmm. and I was like in awe of them. I was like, damn, these look real. But I think also there's some legal thing where you can't make the images look too real. Because mm. I worked in the um, graphics department for the Onion for a while, um, on like some of their TV shows. And they were like, yeah, we can't make them look too real because I think people could sue you if it, like, is... Oh, interesting. I, I don't know, something like that. I remember being like, oh, right, we're not... We can't make this look too like the thing. Yeah. Uh, when did you start doing stuff at UCB? Ooh, I was... I graduated my first 101 class on the day of my 21st birthday. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so big day yeah big day it was great had a grad show and then went out for drinks afterwards with my parents <laughs> yeah um yeah so uh for oh gosh 10 years now 10 years mm-hmm. yeah 
How'd you how'd you even find out about them? Um, they had come the, their Torco came to my college, came to Boston University. Mm-hmm. And also I was in a an improv slash sketch group, but mostly long form improv group called Sons of Liberty, which rest in peace no longer exists. But it was Boston University one of Boston University's uh, long form improv groups and um this guy Andrew Ford, who is still one of my best friends. Don't tell him I said that because we're also mortal enemies. Um, <laughs> I actually love Andrew. He's so great. Um, but he was the leader of our improv troupe and he like grew up in Connecticut. And so he would go to UCD in New York all the time. And he like would, would come to the group with like these, the legend of UCB. And we would hear about like the Ellie Kempers and the Shannon O'Neill's and the Chris Gethards and the Zach Woods's. And we were like, wow, we want to see these people. And so they finally came to our school and it was like, we were like, oh, this is fucking great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you, when you started taking classes, did you know it was like something, it was immediately clicked for you? I actually found out about improv in general in high school mm-hmm. where I went to, I was dating a guy at the time who was doing it because he was an actor and he was taking an improv class and I remember watching him and going like, oh yeah, I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that looks really fun and I could do that probably <laughs> and I think I would enjoy it. Um, and so that's how I found out about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you actually started doing it, it felt like, oh yeah, this is, this is for me. Yeah. I mean, it, it felt uh, to me, comedy and, and improv and sketch writing, all that stuff. Just the reason I like it is because it feels like a puzzle because like a joke is just a puzzle that is surprising or whatever. And like, there are certain like fun choices that you can make. And then there's, you know, a pattern to follow. It's all pattern following and, and saying yeah. yes and, and building on the thing that you were just given. So that's why I liked it so much. So like board games and video games and um, like improv and all that good shit is any puzzle solving thing is what I'm really is what I get I get excited about yeah, yeah. who were uh, who are your teachers oh man um it, this was so long ago I'm not gonna remember all of them I remember I had Brandon Gardner as a teacher mm-hmm. I had Shannon O'Neill as a teacher I had Will Hines as a teacher I had Delaney Michael Delaney as a teacher. I took a workshop with Alex Berg, I think, and I took, oh my God, I feel bad if I'm forgetting people. <laughs> I'm sure they're in there, but I think I took a class with Abra once, Abra Tabak, Tabak. Um, but yeah, I always had great teachers. I mm-hmm. loved my teachers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, um, so you, like, you live in LA now. What are the differences like on each coast of the, the theaters, you think? I'm not super involved in the LA scene here. Mm-hmm. I think... Um, the difference is to me, everyone here seems a little more relaxed, (laughs) but also they talk about the industry a thousand times more. Like it feels less of in New York, it feels like getting good at UCB is a goal and here it feels like it's a means to an end. Mm. Um, so, but also just a fun thing to do. So like, for example, at an improv show, you'll see a lot of celebrities or people who you're like, wait, you write for a like a hundred sitcoms. Like, why are you still on Herald night? And it's like, Oh, cause it's fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and your friends will do it. And it's a fun community. So I feel like it's weirdly taken more seriously as its own thing in New York. Mm. Yeah. I do think, um, that maple, I know I took like a day UCB class, mm. uh, not too long ago here. In no, this isn't at New York. Oh, New York. And, what uh, did you think? Oh, it was like all actors, and I was like, "Really? Oh, like Broadway people? Like, oh, like, well, people? not like I don't know, like no one's successful. Oh, yeah, but I mean, like people, like theatery people, or, or... I, yeah, people who wanted, to, yeah, or commercial or oh, yeah. wow. And it was kind of like, you know, it's like I wish there's a broader spectrum of people in this class. Yeah, right. If you get all 
actors. I mean, they can be really fun. They make no, really yeah. good emotional choices. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, as you know, I, I do Who's wonder. Who's your teacher? Uh, this was Dwyer. <gasps> oh. Yeah, great teacher. I love Dwyer. He's one of my best friends. And he's, he's here now. Yes. Yeah. Oh, when he moved here, I got so happy. <laughs> oh, my God. When him and Caroline Cotter moved here, I was like, oh, my life is complete. <laughs> yeah. And everyone's coming out here. <gasps> it's so nice. <laughs> it's so nice. It's so nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I might be moving back here pretty yeah, soon. Do it, dude. It's great here. Uh, yeah. Oh, you... there was a weird thing where in New York, everyone thinks that L.A. sucks. And in L.A., no one ever thinks about what New York does <laughs> and cares. This, this, I, so someone asked me... Yeah. Uh, like, why are you going to LA? I think yeah. they were trying to see if I had like some sort of like meeting with somebody or oh, something. God, yeah, we all have like meetings, right? Cares, yeah. And then I was like, oh, I'm just like visiting, just hanging out with some friends. I might record a couple podcasts as I'm doing <laughs> yes. that. And then they were like, why do you even want to go to LA? And I was like, LA is oh fucking awesome. It's so fun. Yeah. And then, yeah, no one here cares. No one. It's it's really like it's really like LA is this like celebrity, and New York is this no one like subtweeting <laughs> a celebrity, and like the celebrity's like, I don't read these these digs about me. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and I also, I just had this coming from New York. I had this, this idea that New York improv was better. And then I got here and I was like, LA improv sucks. Like everyone's too nice. Like everyone's going to say, and then it's, it's just as good. And it's very, it's maybe better in some ways. <laughs> so yeah. I was quickly proven wrong. Do you, do you, I think, I think they're both are good, but I yeah, do think really. they're very different actually. What do you, how do you think they're different? Well, and I guess you I probably I, know more than I do about that actually. I, maybe, I don't know. I mean, I haven't seen LA Improv in a bit now. Yeah. And I've barely seen New York Improv actually. Oh, well, and I've only <laughs> do, uh, oh. Then, then it's just two people who like, don't know improv <laughs> exactly. anymore. But I do think. a lot of opinions now that I back it up. <laughs> LA Improv is more, um, more relaxed and like, um, more like, I guess. More shorts. I see more shorts. Well, definitely more shorts. <laughs> But I think more stupid or more dumb. Stupid, okay. In a, well, then you've I, never seen Dwyer improvise, right? No, Dwyer. That's <laughs> he's I, the fucking dumbest idiot I've ever met. Well, I think that's why I gravitate <laughs> to taking class Dwyer and I like going yeah. to see the law firm is because yeah. he was very stupid in yeah. like scenes. But I do. Th- I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong in saying that. What the, it's dumb? That it's like sillier here. Sillier, yeah. Mm. I would say sillier for sure. Maybe so, I feel like New York. And again, I now I don't know, but New York had a lot of uh, a lot of thinky people. Yeah. Like, I think of, like, Will Hines and, like, mm-hmm. Delaney to some extent and, like, those kind of, like, people who are, like, Eric Tenoy and those kind of brains first. Like, what is it called? Robot Ninja Starship or something? Like, there are three uh, types of... Pirate. Pirate, yes. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why I said Starship. Is that a name of an album? What did I just say? <laughs> I just had a stroke. Um, yeah, like a robot, a ninja, and a, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that are the more thinky ones. Yeah. And hey, yeah. those are two generalizations right there. <laughs> exactly. But uh, I kind of think that's you true. I'm not scared of generalizing. Yeah. I fucking come at me. Yeah. Come at me. Yeah, and you can find her on Twitter at. Yeah, uh... at uh, I think just at Buzan. <laughs> okay. Yeah, fucking subtweet my ass. <laughs> I want to start a flame war online. I've never been in a part of a flame war. Someone asked me if I had, and I haven't. Yeah, I think it's. Well, I was gonna say it's probably tough to get into one, and I think that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Just tweeted somebody who has different political ideas as you. Yeah, it pro- it's probably nice. <laughs> a flame war? Yeah, I don't know. It probably it's feels probably something to do. It's like a well, fun... I was actually thinking like I I used to get in trouble all the time like in high school really? and stuff. Yeah, like for stupid for things. Oh, well, just like uh, oh, like opinions, like loud. No, 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 not like that. Yeah. It's more fun. What I like, I used to like. For instance, we used to have like water bottles, yeah. and we would just like uh, drink a little bit, then turn it on the table. 
and oh, with and the then cap somebody, off. Oh, so then somebody, funny. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. That's a good. I mean, yeah, that's a prank. That's good. Yeah, I mean, it's a very high school dumb yeah, of prank. Of course, yeah. Uh, and I miss getting in trouble like that. It's. I think maybe a flame war. <laughs> a flame war could give that you just to me. Want, you just miss consequences, is what you miss. <laughs> I guess people getting mad at me for something stupid. I don't know. Maybe I'll go on a, a racial tirade. Yeah. Well, don't do that. <laughs> and that'll be very funny. Yeah. 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 Racial tirades are always really funny. There should be more of those. Right. They're very good. <laughs> From straight white men. Mm-hmm. Um, do you use like your improv in, in writing at all? I use it in the room uh, when we're pitching ideas and mm-hmm. stuff because that's um, how you build beats and scenes and uh you know things like that heighten and explore shall as right. the teachers would say um so i do use it in the room uh and i feel like it's really helped me in terms of confidence in saying things in a room mm-hmm. um and building on someone's idea instead of because the most annoying thing to me is when we're on was like in a room when you're on a train of thought and someone just goes what if we did this completely different thing that we weren't talking about and i'm like ah no yeah <laughs> we were just on a roll <laughs> mm-hmm. You got to build on the idea. Yeah. Yeah. But in writing wise, I think it maybe is harmful. (laughs) Oh, interesting. Because so much, because here's the thing about improv is that it's very low risk, high reward in that. And also the expectations of the audience are so low when you go into an improv show because they know that you haven't rehearsed. You're a bunch of people in street clothes you're all probably relatively unattractive. Like we're un unshowered, like at a show at midnight in a basement. So it's like, great, this can't be good. And then if you say anything mediocre, it sounds amazing because your the audience's expectations are so low. Whereas it's like, have you, if you've ever done an improv scene and then written it down and read it out loud, it's literally the worst garbage you'll ever read. It makes no sense. And it's very bad. Um, and so I think sometimes people go into writing with the idea of like, Oh, I can just like, say whatever comes to mind and write it down. And it's like, that to me does not make the best. When you film that stuff, it gets very boring and bad. <laughs> right. I mean, if you read like a, a pilot like that, yeah. it'd be like, what, what is this like? It'd be like, what is this meandering gar- shit? Yeah. yeah. And I also think like um, a lot of movies, you can tell when there's like improvised runs. Yes. And- I, I'm not going to name names, but there are there's some directors where I'm like, this movie could have been 20 minutes shorter. And it would have been great. Yeah. just left in a bunch of shit. It's just like, you know, stupid jokes that aren't even that funny. Yeah. Yeah. A guy I used to work with, Dave Ferguson, he's so smart. He's one of the smartest. He was a head writer on the last show that I worked on. And um, he used to use the term greedy for like doing, like if you're in editing or whatever, where you, um, or like in writing where you do too many jokes or too much of a run or whatever. He's like, no, you got to cut that. It's like, why? It's like, because yeah, you're getting greedy. And I always, that was like, when he use that it was always a good good term for me yeah no that makes sense yeah, yeah i like that i like thinking about it that way yeah uh and you did you did mod night at ucb right i did indeed uh how'd you get started with that what was the path your path to that um i took a couple sketch classes and actually oh i did this thing called i probably should say this in between boston and new york i found out about this thing called the comedy studies program at um second city oh yeah do you know about that i've heard of it yeah yeah so i took that for a semester and that's what what springboarded me into new york because i was like i want to be in a city where i can do stuff like this all the time and boston has some improv and it's lovely but it's not like there isn't as much to do as there is in new york so i took for a whole semester five or six classes that was like uh, sketch writing, uh, directing, improv, acting, uh, physical comedy, history of comedy, just these incredible classes I couldn't believe I did, was getting credit for. Um, and so I learned how to write sketch through like the Second City way first, mm-hmm. which is like this five-point structure with like a midpoint and blah, blah, blah. 
Um, and then Are we have a midpoint in sketch. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh. Whoa. Every Second City sketch, if it's like if it's written to the, I mean, if, if they map it along, like if you watch any episode of um, The Simpsons, they have a midpoint where things completely change right. in like a chemical way. You know, mm-hmm. like like oh, it's, something's different now, or like the you know, and they have the same sort of structure where it's like halfway through to avoid like a sagging middle of a sketch or of a thing, um, which is very different from UCB, which yeah. is um, like introduce the beat. Beat, 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 heighten, 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 and then button, and then you're out. Yeah. So it's two very different ideas. But so I had, I had a leg up because I had been doing improv for a while. So when I got to UCB, I had the, the, not privilege. What's the word I'm looking for? I just had advantage? like, uh, yeah. Th- thank you. I had the advantage of I had already had so much stage time. I, I had already done so much bad improv in <laughs> freshman year and sophomore year. Like truly, one time at Boston University, we did my improv team did an hour-long show because we just got to do however long we wanted because we were a student club or whatever to zero laughs. Two halves, zero laughs. I invited... Friends were in from out of town and it was zero laughs. I wanted to shrink into a hole and die. It was so miserable. I was like, oh, I will never feel anything worse than that. So I I just felt like I could just be brave on stage forever after that. Mm -hmm. Did you... uh, That's where I got started in sketch. Sorry, long story long. No, no, yeah. The comedy studies, they they now, they do like a degree now, right? I don't know if it's a degree. I mean, they have a, Second City has a program that you can mm-hmm. graduate from. It's like a conservatory program. They've, they've always had that, but this was for college credit. Yeah, I think they do. I think oh, the, they have a thing? It's expanded now? I think it's expanded to like a four-year degree. What? Yeah. Well, yeah, I was interested oh, to hear your thoughts on that. these days are so lucky. It was the best thing ever. It was yeah. so much fun. Are you kidding me? It was a bunch of comedians. It was a bunch of like like-minded dumbasses just being like, do you want to fucking write a sketch together? And it was, it was and we had Fridays off. It was so dope. <laughs> Fridays loved, off. Yes, it was great. I loved it. You mm-hmm. had so much freedom and then you could just take improv classes elsewhere and you can do shows at, like indie. It was just the best. Yeah. Cause it was so tailored to ex- like, if you want to be a writer now, you kind of have to take a dramatic writing class like you're doing mm-hmm. or like you have to do these like highly structured drama college courses. And there's, Sometimes like an elective about comedy, I guess, but this is so specific to comedy that it was so cool. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. It's yeah, it's weird to think. I guess because some would say, you know, uh, do like, your degree in something more practical, I guess, and then do the stuff on the side. Yeah, I did that, and it worked out for me. Um, and I don't. Begr- I mean, you do need a day job, and you need to make money, um, but. If you want to work in the entertainment industry at all, which is an avenue into getting into writing or whatnot, there are a lot of jobs available in the industry that are near, like, production or being a PA or, um, you know, development or a talent agency, whatever. There are a lot of jobs within that world that you can also get that would get you closer to your goal, I think. So you don't need to necessarily be, like doctor by I don't know why I said doctor I just thought of like a real job but no you wouldn't be a doctor and then want to do comedy that sounds insane that'd be, um, that'd be awesome why would you have gotten your doctor degree oh well Dr. Ken oh my god right Dr. Ken Jung damn it <laughs> yep proven wrong and he regrets it to this day Does, his doctor degree <laughs> oh I'm sure oh, oh. <laughs> oh and I meant you were doing comedy oh oh doing comedy yeah it is funny like <laughs> you go from literally saving lives to like to being like in the hangover. To like calling someone gay in the hangover. Yeah. Like, so it's like his most famous line is, he, or no, in the community, community I guess. Yeah. yeah. So insane. Oh my God. 
Uh, and on Monday, you were on the team Bellevue. I was. Which is considered like a, a very good team. Thank you. I think, right? Isn't that... I <laughs> loved it. Mm-hmm. I will brag about the team and not include myself in this because I, I feel uncomfortable uh, bragging about stuff. But... I feel like we had so much fun as a team. We chose our name in like two emails and it was like, great. It was so easy. Bellevue like, is, a good, is a good name. Thank you. Yeah, I think Laura Wilcox thought of it. Um, Former guest. Oh, she, oh ooh, I'll have to go back and listen to that. <laughs> um, yeah, so, and we were just like, great, yeah. And as soon as we did that, I was like, oh, this is going to be easy. Like, fantastic. Um, yeah, we, it just, it really, doing the reps on Mod Night and being able to test stuff out and seeing how things also translate from the page onto the, into an actor's mouth and then in front of an audience is was so invaluable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was just the best experience. I'm still like best friends with almost everybody on the team. What do you think makes a, a good sketch team? Everyone has to be chill. I really can't stress that enough. Like supportive and chill and um, kind of like let people do their thing a little bit. Like we had some real weirdo sketch ideas sometimes on the team and it was just... And then they would some like most of the time end up working really well, and it was like, oh right, like just let people do their thing. Um, just get your ego out of the way too. I feel like also there were six writers and six actors, or no, six writers, six actors, but Drew Johnston was a writer actor. I feel like this sounds really like socialist or whatever, but like let everybody get a sketch in for the show, like because every it, it, mod night is practice. It's not you're not getting paid. So like, let everybody get a sketch in, even if they're not always like, I had so many bad sketches that shouldn't have gotten in the show if we were doing it a meritocracy, but yeah, I think it let everybody have a voice letter and like write for people you don't usually write for and see how yeah. that changes your idea. And then, you know, I, yeah, just a bunch of the letting go of ego and being fair is yeah, really, yeah. was I think why we worked so well mm-hmm. and we all really respected each other. Like even if you didn't stylistically get, get along with somebody, I understood why they were funny and why it was good. And I, I loved their stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think are the hallmarks of like a good sketch for theater? Mm, again, physical. I mean, not literally like slipping on a banana peel, though I do love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but just, you know, filling the space and uh, pace. I think pace is really important. Um, and by pace, I don't mean quick. I mean varying the pace up and taking time. And I feel like in a theater, you can feel the tension when there's a pause and so learning how to juice that for all it's worth um i think writing hard jokes people forget that those are will all there is never a bad medium to write a hard joke yeah. and i feel like a lot of times people and this is why improv i think is bad for writing sketch is that like they'll do something that seems really funny in the moment it's like yeah at an improv show or like with your buds this seems funny but then you say it out loud in front of a paying audience and they're like this isn't a joke. It's just like a thing you said kind of weird, <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's interesting. I get, I, I, cause I talked to my friend, my friend, Olivia, mm-hmm. who's just my friend, not like okay. a comedian. <laughs> uh, and we were talking about how I was arguing that improv was the closest thing to sketch. Mm. And she was saying stand up is better for sketch. Cause it's hard jokes and stand up. I guess you would, I would agree with her. I think interesting. Yeah. yeah I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's nice when you, I, I think, if you were to put a stand-up, I mean, I'm trying to think of like they were in battle. Like if improv or stand-up were to battle, and like which would have the better sketch, like sketch potential. I think it would be stand-up. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, because improv is like, I mean, theoretically, if you're like not paying attention to it, improv is a sketch. 
that's just, you know. It is when it's done well, but I think it's mm-hmm. so rarely done well that it's not. And there again, when you present an improv scene as pre-written, it's not, it's never funny. Right. You know? That's true. It's interesting. I would defy, and I'm going to say this to all the listeners right now. I would defy you to write down verbatim an improv scene that someone has done <laughs> and send it to me. And if it makes me laugh, I will gladly concede my point <laughs> but i'm gonna take a hard stance on that no improv scene has ever made a great sketch like verbatim verbatim right as it came out of the improvisers no, I mean, that's probably true yeah yeah uh it's interesting to think about because i know um like improv and i think sister injury sketch doesn't really lead well into writing like say like monologue jokes or something that's like seems like a very different muscle yeah it is it's such i had to learn how to write jokes because mm-hmm. i was did improv and sketch for so long and i was like oh right i need to and then i was like applying for like with packets and stuff and i was like fuck i need to write 20 jokes how do you do that yeah how, <laughs> how'd it, you go about learning to do that i just did it a bunch yeah i just made and it's not fun it's really not it's unfun and then you got to show them to people and be like which ones do you like and then you have to just mm-hmm. i also just look up old monologue jokes and go why are these funny why is the structure funny like mm-hmm. there are patterns involved in a lot of the the, the jokes that you see um you just kind of have to I, it's so cliche like the the setup punchline is sometimes so cliche and it makes you want to ralph because you're like ugh. it's like mm-hmm. well a news item happened today and then this happened with the kardashian and right. you're like a joke or whatever and yeah. you just kind of have to lean into that sometimes and just try to make the funniest thing out of this completely antiquated joke structure mm-hmm. but again it's lasted for 50 years or how long TV's been around probably longer than that no crap well it's interesting you mentioned earlier that you liked uh, improv and sketch because like it was like a, uh, a puzzle yes and I think that's very true of monologue jokes they're very puzzle yes and that's why I learned to really like them I was like yeah. oh, oh I love writing jokes like as soon as I saw them as a puzzle I was like oh this rules <laughs> and I think I, I was the same way with that yeah though I do still think I don't know if I find any of them funny like even when I'm like oh I did it's the puzzle so rare. I solved it yep. this is not funny right it works well, but it's not well, there are multiple answers to the puzzle right right like, multiple solutions but like one will be the best or one will be better you know mm-hmm. yeah are you good at writing monologue jokes do you uh, think you're good or do you like it i don't well i i see i do like it as in i like doing the crossword like yeah. I, 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 oh, do, I do the crossword too yeah, yeah. Um, but i'm not great at the crossword i'm better at monologue jokes than the crossword do you do the new york probably. times yeah what day can you go to like what's your toughest day like wednesday that's really good that's me that's okay. how good i am <laughs> okay i can i like struggle through a thursday okay yeah um but, uh, yeah, with monologue jokes, I can go to Friday. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I don't uh, – no, I'm not good at monologue jokes, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, who is? Like, yeah. Scollins is really good at monologue jokes. Mike Scollins. Sure, probably, He's, yeah. like, famously a machine. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I still don't know if they're funny or not. I don't know. You, you don't really know until you say them in front of a live studio audience. It's true. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. What was your favorite sketch you did on Mod Night? Mine? Oh, my God. Oh, you're asking me to brag. Um, no, I'm so uncomfortable. Um, no. My favorite sketch was... Oh, there's so many because I just... It, you know what I will say? I'll, I'll amend the thing I said about how to have a good sketch team. You have to have really good actors. <laughs> <laughs> because you can have the best writers in the world. And like, if your actors aren't good, <laughs> sketches are going to suck. And we had six of... I would... I would go to my I would I would go to bat for them like they are truly maybe some of the best actors of all time at UCB because they could do they understood comedy you know. Um, my favorite sketch I had a sketch the one that I got that I was really. 
proud of because people then used it as an example in classes, which was really nice, um, was this sketch about a Starbucks cup where an annoying woman, played by Catherine Mudon brilliantly, comes into the work and she goes, oh my God, like someone misspelled my name on my Starbucks cup. I'm so annoyed. And then... Oh, I watched that. You did? It's part of a class or something. Oh my God. That's so nice. Oh my God. It was funny, yeah. Thank you. (laughs) And um, the co-workers proceed to just make a more a sarcastically bigger and bigger deal about mm-hmm. oh my god are you okay like this misspelling is so horrible how like oh my god do you need help like are you and so they and they're making fun of her the whole time mm-hmm. i think that <laughs> i didn't explain that very well no no but people, yeah, people can find it i guess <laughs> yeah yeah it's on uh, the bellevue ucb mod mm-hmm. like youtube page i'm mm-hmm. sure it's still there yeah I think what I like about a sketch like that specifically is that it's like a it's like a normal world situation, mm-hmm. and it's kind of turned on its head. Thank you. Uh, yeah, that's what I I dig that stuff too. Yeah. Yeah, because I like for, I always write like just like really dumb stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but that dumb stuff is good. That stuff's good, but I do feel like it'd be much better. It'd be much nicer to be more relatable. Yeah. And something like oh, that. Oh, I mean, no, I just remember. Oh, speaking of dumb, it reminds one of my favorite sketches to wa- to watch was not mine, but Matt Muscoviak wrote this sketch where it was just a woman who was on trial for murder because she had um she had killed her husband and they were like why did you kill him and she was like because i just didn't want to be married to him anymore and they were like why didn't you just get a divorce and she goes oh divorce (laughs) (laughs) and she had just forgot about divorce was her character (laughs) and and just thinking about it made me makes me laugh so hard it's funny oh god and she's like oh right Oh, divorce. <laughs> and oh, Laura Wilcox played the woman, and she's, oh, God, she nailed it. So realist. She played it so real. It was so funny. Uh, and you've, you've written stuff for The New Yorker. I have, yeah. No, New Yorker digital. Not digital. I've never been published, so yeah. Oh. Which people who've been published hate when you say, I've written for Shouts and Murmurs. Oh, really? They, yeah, they go, you've written for Daily Shouts and Murmurs. And I'm like, calm down. <laughs> you've been published. Just take that and have the, who cares? Well, what do you care about me? <laughs> it isn't most of that just like, oh, it's like a Simon Rich is doing a piece or something, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like well, a famous yeah. guy. Right, it's a lot of people who are have written for other things before. And then mm-hmm. I think there's like a, a kind of group of people who regularly get published in that in that mm-hmm. sort of thing, yeah. Uh, how did you start doing that? I did that. My friend uh, Celeste Ballard, who I worked with, she was the head writer for Above Average when I was there. She used to write stuff for them, and I was like, oh, this could be kind of fun and a cool outlet. Um, and I was writing articles anyway, and I was like, oh, what if I just wrote like if I and I also was like, the New Yorker isn't necessarily my style of comedy. Um, it's a little more highbrow, and I thought, oh, what if I was like as a challenge? I thought, oh, could I write for something like the new yorker and so i you know tried writing and they accepted some of my things which mm-hmm. was very nice of them <laughs> what's your what's your process for writing a, a humor piece once you have like the idea um i do i write down i work in google docs so it's just very open-ended sort of i write down jokes or beats or things that um like if it's a mapping kind of game i'll write okay well what would happen in this world actually and then what are other things that that would funny versions of that or whatever Mm -hmm. so um yeah it's it's not a very helpful answer but i just kind of (laughs) like spit draft on a page um and then just keep writing jokes and then i'll move paragraphs before and after the ones that i think in the order i think they should go (laughs) is this helpful (laughs) what do do you think makes like a good humor piece for the new yorker Mm, something i think the best ones i've Red are very are like high like a highbrow uh like uh 
structure but dumb jokes like the one that mm. made me laugh the hardest was never published but it was a digital piece where it was like the a police um what's it called like not a blot a police uh record like of um in the game it was like a the police in grand theft autos like uh records of I'm, gonna, I'm fucking this up already. I'm sure I could find the title, but it was like a mom playing Grand Theft Auto and mm-hmm. like what her thoughts were while playing Grand Theft Auto. Oh, okay. I, I can't remember what the title was, but it was written by this duo and it was so freaking funny. And it's because it was like in police language or it was in like this very kind of highbrow, like serious oh, structure. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it was like a mom, like a, a mom being like, oh, like, oops, I ran someone over. <laughs> like that sort of, it was, the tone was really great. The mm-hmm. clash of tone is the short way of saying Right. That. Yeah. What would uh, be your advice to people who want to get involved in like humor writing online? Oh, just do it mm-hmm. as much as you can and like get, get rejected from everything you possibly can because at some point they'll take it or, or they won't and you will just have gotten practice. Like no writing is in vain. It's all practice. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for every piece I got online, like like published online there were like three or four or six or seven or whatever that got rejected um and then also like just working at above average i had to do three humor pieces a day when i first started which was an insane ask but i that's crazy it was really crazy i didn't eat lunch for a year (laughs) no kidding um but it was um that was really great practice and just kind of like getting things out and not being precious with your work and understanding what your sense of humor was but also how to write because you'll look back on old things and be like, oh, right. Oh, that's, that, that's I think, advice I would give is look back on things you've written, old stuff that you've written that you've had enough time to step away from and be like, oh, how would I edit this now with mm. what I've learned? Because that helps you also feel like, oh, I'm getting better and I'm learning. Right, right. Yeah. What's your favorite humor piece you've written? Oh, God. I've only written like three or four. <laughs> um, I think the one I liked the most was that made me laugh was it was um, the most recent one I did which was called like what to do if you forget someone's name at a party. And the first piece of advice is to just kill yourself <laughs> or die. I think it is. Um, and I liked that cause it was, I think that felt more like my sense. It felt a little more absurd and kind of fun to right. me than, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and you were for Adam ruins everything. I did. Yeah. How did that job come about? So that job came about, so Travis Helwig was the head writer and we were, we've been friends since college and he was like, oh, you're moving to LA. Like, do you want to submit for this job? And I was like, yeah, of course. Um, and then I submitted, I think my manager also sent me the packet submission and I was like, oh yeah, sure. And so I wrote a packet and, Mm -hmm. um, had an interview and then got the job. So was it a, was it a big transition to like doing your first, uh, TV writing job? Mm. I had been a writer's assistant before, Mm -hmm. so I understood how to like table to script to network to TV kind of worked. Um, so it wasn't that weird. And I'd been in enough writer's rooms where I felt pretty comfortable. That show is tough to write for though, because it's like info information and comedy. And so like getting jokes in there and like figuring out how to write jokes. And and it's a lot of just organizational, like it's a long essay and it's just, there are again, a thousand different answers. It is that truly is maybe the hardest kind of puzzle is an Mm -hmm. episode of writing an episode of Adam Rose, everything. Mm -hmm. Cause you also have to not offend people and you have to, you know, take everybody's view into account. And so that was, uh, it was very rewarding when you finally got it though. Mm -hmm. And you felt like, Oh, I feel like I did a good job and I'm proud of this thing. Yeah, on a show that does have so much information and is like proving, uh, is like right coming to a point. Yeah. 
how do you balance like the comedy in there like just throwing in the jokes really like on set sometimes you just like throw in a line um i mean that's pretty rare but you just kind of throw in like dumb shit um into scripts where like silly absurd um i think a lot of the comedy too comes in metaphor so if you're trying to make a point um like i remember the the researcher i worked with her name is uh, doyle it's Kate, Kate Doyle, we call her Doyle. Um, she had this great, we didn't end up going to the script because it was, the script was already like too long, but we were trying to do like a metaphor for oxytocin and like how it makes you feel good and, and how it like affects your mood or whatever. And she, I think it was like, she came up with the idea that like, what if oxytocin was like a DJ, like a late night love line DJ? And I was like, oh, that's really funny. And that's like funny, but also giving um, information. And so I think it's about finding the right funny metaphor for whatever information mm. you're trying to, yeah. And uh, how much research do you, are you doing like on your own versus like taking the research from the researchers and whatnot? We get most of the research. We find like fun little facts. You have to come in with little facts and things that you've learned and podcasts you've listened to and stuff. Um, the researchers do, of course, the bulk of the research though, and they are the ones who essentially they should get writing credit on that show because they do so much of the um, of the structural writing and of the argument writing where they'll be able to tell you like can you say this can you not say this blah 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 um so i did i would say like doyle would do like when i worked with her doyle would do like 80 to 90 percent of the research and then i would be like cool can we put a fart in here uh, is that, <laughs> can we legally do that <laughs> do you ever like think like oh maybe i'm missing something because she like didn't like see that like i would think is very funny that's like a small thing or something. wait what do you mean well it's ever like i would always think like Okay, this person's giving you the research, but maybe there is like a small fact that I, they didn't include. Oh, sometimes I would be like, ooh, can I, I'd love to tell this joke if this is true. Mm. Like, but, so you sometimes will say, we sometimes reverse engineer it, like if you want to tell a joke, you're like, hey, is this information, is this research available or, or like, were there studies that's, that we can say this? And she'll come back and be like, no, <laughs> like, no, I've done all the research and you can't say that. I'm that like, must okay, suck. No. It does. But also you have to, I mean, that's part of the puzzle. It's like, yeah, yeah. you know, you can't just, you know, if you're in a labyrinth, you can't just like blow through a wall to get to the, the, the end of the labyrinth. Mm-hmm. You just have to like find the, you have to follow the rules and find the way. That mm-hmm. was a weird metaphor, but yeah. <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> a joke is like a labyrinth or an episode is like a labyrinth. How do you uh, pick a subject on a show like that? Um, everybody pitches ideas mm-hmm. um, and pitches cool facts and things like that. So um, the first episode I ever wrote was um, Adam Ruins Having a Baby. And someone had come in and pitched. I think it was Travis had pitched something about postpartum depression or someone came. Or maybe it was Natalie who pitched um, like this idea that after age 35, you can't have kids because your eggs are all dried up. And that's like absolutely not true. Mm-hmm. And that research actually came from like this 400-year-old farmer like census of farmers in france and it was like they were all dying from like fucking diseases anyway so that's yeah <laughs> um which was crazy and so we were like oh that would be a great episode so just kind of come in with what you're interested in mm-hmm. yeah. what are the hallmarks of a good like adam ruins everything bit mm, i would say a good funny visual metaphor for the thing that you're trying to prove um something that is surprising that people don't already know um and something that might change the way they act going forward. Like, I just remember the reason I liked writing the, the having a baby episode so much was because I had this worry, and as a lot of my friends did, about, like, oh, my God, I have to have a kid by 35 or I'm, I'm, my uterus is dead. And that, after watching the episode, relieved and writing it, relieved so much of my anxiety about 
like if I want to have kids, I have to do it now or whatever. And that to me felt like a good episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you most recently were working on I Love You America. Yes, I did. How'd, uh, how did that job come about? Mm. My manager sent me um, the packet submission for that. And I read the out- breakdown. And I was like, oh my God, I want to work for this show so bad. This is so great. Um, and then it was just like a blind submission process. And so submitted a packet and... Um, they actually called me and they were like, hey, you have an interview. Um, but they thought you were, <laughs> there were no names on the packet. So like when, <laughs> like when Sarah like picked the ones that she liked, she was like, she looked at the names. She went, oh, they're all boys. Because <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> she thought I was a boy because <laughs> my name is Glenn. So, so that was funny. Uh, and were you, you, were you there before the show started? Um, yeah. So I was there from yeah. the beginning. So um, what, what were like the months before the show started, like premiered, like leading up to They like, were wild. Yeah. Yeah. Building a show from the ground up, especially a late night show where just everything's been done and, and there's such a hard set of rules is, um, very hard. Um, which, and most of the work, the credit goes to like, um, Gavin and uh, Purcell and Dave Ferguson and, and Sarah, but, and like the, the team that they were working with, um, but just figuring that out is, it's so rewarding when it's done though. Mm-hmm. Like just because you're like, wow, you can, you just have a whole, totally open slate. You're like, well, and then, but then you also don't, you're like, well, should she be sitting and saying a monologue? Should she be standing? Should she have a mic in her hand? Should she, mm-hmm. what should she wear? Like what, did, where does the audience sit? Like it's all so, um, these questions you never think you would have to answer. Right. <laughs> like, oh, I guess I never I have to think about like what, like if she, does she sit on the right of her guests or are they couches? Are they chairs? Are they like... <laughs> Yeah, it is interesting how I mean that show did feel very different from other shows. Yeah, in like a, a lot of like I think in a very smart way. Oh, thank you. To be like, you know, not doing a traditional monologue. Yeah, and then not doing like a you know Seth Meyers or John yeah. Stewart or a Trevor Noah type thing. I was really proud of our monologues. I think our monologues were really good, and they were. I mean, the best thing about Sarah is that she's so self-aware and so willing to apologize and say that she's wrong and to like make fun of herself that it was so fun to write them because there was never any sort of you can't say this or oh there was never a worry that we would like upset the host you know like it was and she would just be writing them too and so and it was stuff she really felt and thought and so um and she really trusts her writers and so it was just like I, I think the monologues are the things I was most proud of do you think that the show came out um, like fully formed as to where it wanted to be or like took a couple shows to get there? Because I know like they always say like the daily late night shows, mm-hmm. they always have like a little time to like find their feet. Oh, yeah. But a weekly show, it doesn't really have that time. Yeah. I think it took us a full season to figure out what exactly okay. we wanted to be. And I think we still would have, had we gotten renewed, I think we would have had an even better uh, third season or, or second or whatever season to figure out exactly what that was. Mm-hmm. Um, I, do, I feel that way that like you look at old Conan and it was, he would, the show was so bad his first year or whatever, and it's unwatchable. And then you just let some, I mean like Colbert was bad too when he first got on and you're like, all right, Fallon was bad. Like all these guys are, are like, don't know who they are, or what they're doing, but then you give them time to figure it out. And then the show sings and becomes, you know, and then, you know, you let James Corden do it every once and then you get carpool karaoke and then you're set. You yeah. know? So I think we just, I wish we would have had a little more time to figure that out. Mm-hmm. But well, also, I think just... Oh, sorry. What were you going to say? No, go ahead. Go ahead. I think the biggest problem was that you can't have a late night show on a streaming platform. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's tough to find it or to like... And to know that it's... Yeah. Cause it is... Because like... I did think about that a lot because late night is like disposable... Yep. Like 
you know, fast food almost like every mm-hmm. day. Yeah. And it's weird to like catch up on it. And I think actually something that the, that, that the show did very well is that it wasn't, it was tied to like the times rather than tied to like the day, mm-hmm. um, which did like help. I remember I watched Thanks. like uh, a bunch of them in a row once. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I didn't feel like it was like, oh, this is like, they're talking about Scaramucci. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, it, like, it made yeah. sense. <laughs> Thank you, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's tough to do that. I mean, I think that was a problem with the the, the break with the oh, show. Oh, yeah. Wolf. Is that it was too topical, you mean? Oh, no, no, no. That, just that it was on a streaming network. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that yeah, made, agree. That made that tough. I know. I also just like, uh, I think about something like the break and how cool that like, because you saw it like finding its way. And like also Michelle Wolf was just so fucking smart and funny. And... I just feel like it could have been this really sharp, like, cool show had they given it more than four episodes or whatever the hell. Right. Um, I just think it's so unfair mm-hmm. that they don't give these shows a little more time. Especially the weekly shows, because they're like... Yeah. 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 Uh, how, do you, how do you approach writing the, like, the non-traditional monologue? We start with a topic. We start actually. Sarah comes in with a thing she has thought or said or a tweet she wants to write that she's like, this feels like a bigger thing to talk about. Um, and we just have this kind of list on the wall, these uh, index cards on the wall, just with topics like uh, white feminism or uh, billionaires or, you know, whatever we want to talk about. And we will usually just kind of, again, have a spit draft of paragraphs of jokes and things we want to say and points to make. And it's kind of like a comedic essay in itself where you have to, the thought process has to flow. And um, so that's and then we would you know add our own thoughts and but mm-hmm. it was really sarah driven as she would she would come up with a lot of the and and we would say ideas that we wanted to you know talk about and but she had to also agree with it and enjoy and feel comfortable saying it mm-hmm. herself to, to right. want to do it yeah and, and you wrote uh sketches for the show i did what, yeah what were the differences yeah. in writing like sketch for television versus online hmm. uh sketch for television oh you mean like uh well, because they were all kind of on like digital sketch first, and we they were all digital, right? But I guess right? is there like a is there like a difference in like you say doing it for like above average versus doing it for like the oh I guess budget yeah <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> we, above average had like this shoestring budget and and uh, I love you America had like really nice crafty on <laughs> we still didn't have like a million dollars but um mm-hmm. like we got to shoot a sketch with like Maya Rudolph and Ken Marino and it's like oh right these people who like. It just, yeah, I think the world was a little bit more our oyster in terms of comedically with the, mm-hmm. which was like such a thrill. Right. Really working with good comedic actors is so crazy. The difference is so crazy. <laughs> You're like, oh, right. They're making my words better. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, obviously, this was a political show. Do mm-hmm. you like writing comedy about politics? I like writing comedy that um, feels relevant and is saying something about something that exists i don't know like political comedy sometimes is hard because there's just so much of it mm-hmm. so i think when we were on the air i felt like really cool talking about some of the, some of the stuff and i loved i loved writing it but on my own i don't generally write about politics that often mm-hmm. um just because i feel like you go on twitter and like jess dweck has already fucking killed it with whatever amazing mm-hmm. joke she's written that day about what's happening in the news and i'm like oh, yeah i can't be funnier than that <laughs> like, <laughs> i'm not funnier than jess dweck <laughs> how, how do you think uh late night has handled like trump in general badly really yeah. bad yeah i mean we're only humanizing him you know and that's the thing i've been thinking about too is like oh man has does a political show help or hurt um i mean 
I don't know how much sway comedy has over, like at the end of the day, like I think at the end of the day, if you're like a coal miner who has had their job taken away by the fact that there's just no more coal and some fucking guy in a suit comes to you and says, I'm going to give you your coal job back, whatever SNL has to say, it doesn't matter. You're going right. to vote for that guy, you know, mm-hmm. I think at some point. But it is interesting. I, 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 it's interesting to think human. I don't know if it humanizes. I don't know. I uh, read or a podcast or something about how the people who created the Will Ferrell, George Bush like thing. Oh, right. Yeah, I yeah. think a lot of them regret uh, humanizing because he, again, like also started the Iraq war. So it's like, well, yeah, that, you know, and that one I do agree. Like, I think that did humanize him, especially because yeah. like it made Bush seem kind of like a cool guy, not a cool mm-hmm. guy, but like a nice guy and whatnot. Right. Like he didn't like, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. I'm just Southern and I let, and I say words bad. Right. You know? Yeah. But oh, it's funny because I'm from Dallas and yeah. Bush lives in Dallas. Oh, and I do hear he's like a very nice, nice man. I bet he's really nice. He, he, but he's he also like a, a nice war guy. monster. And he also should be in jail. Exactly. Yeah. They show up right. Exactly. I, uh, I, okay, I shouldn't say that. I'm going to edit this out, but okay. I'm just going to tell you right now. Cool. My friend's dad uh, did a heart surgery on him like like ten years ago. Oh, or whatever. Whoa, yeah. that's crazy. You can leave that in. That's cool. I don't know. You can edit it out. Do whatever. <laughs> that's awesome. Though. Everyone needs to know this on the comedy yeah, writing podcast. Right. Yeah. Um. But, uh, oh, but see, but with Trump, I don't know if the portrayal, I don't know. I don't think it's doing anything good necessarily, but I don't know if it's, I I don't know. I just don't think it's good comedy. I think like people, like, this is my, this is my take on it is if you read verbatim what Trump has said that day, and then you look at what someone doing a Trump impression is saying, there's, there's so little difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there's no, like, the reason Sarah Palin was so brilliant is because she would say things like, like she lived in it, like she would say like slightly dumb things, and then Tina Fey would go, "I can see Russia from my house," or what, and like that's a funnier version of what she of what Palin actually said. And mm-hmm. there's no room for any like Trump is so crazy that there's no room for a comedic take because you're just like, and I think you know Alec Baldwin does a great job, and Anthony and Tamek they do a great job, but like the things that they're saying aren't so different from right. what Trump is actually saying. And so it's really tough. I think the best thing that Anthony Antamic ever, ever did was that that scene of him, like when Trump, when they were out doing some man on the street thing and Trump sees, his Trump character sees a uh, a fire truck and gets really excited like oh, a little yeah, boy. Yeah. That to me was the funniest time. I, I was like, oh, that's really good. I was like, mm-hmm. that's a take I haven't seen where it's this like whiny little baby boy who like pees his pants. I was like, that's to me funny. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just hard. Yeah, I get I get bummed out if I see like a late night show and I see like the host do like a Trump impression. Like he like practiced that Ugh, and he yeah. had to like try to get that down. It's also just like I'm just like sick. It's just overload. It's Trump. Yeah. It's sat- I was when I was working at Above Average, it was oversaturation. Mm-hmm. It was gross. I'm just done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why well, uh, Why do you think the show didn't get uh, renewed? Oh, Alan, I don't know. Ugh, <laughs> what a question know? to ask the writer. I know, yeah. right. Um, honestly, I think the problem with having a late night show on a streaming network, um, Hulu also didn't put any money into promoting the show, which is a bummer. Um, and I think also for a late night show to succeed, you have to have somebody in your corner at the network being like, no, no, let it say on, this is great, this is great. Like, let, like someone needs to be fighting for you. And I think people now, because... Streaming is such the it's just the wild west, and nobody really knows how clicks and views work. Um, that everyone's just kind of scared. If something isn't a hit immediately, they pull it because they're like, "Oh, we don't know, we don't know." Oh, and so people are so 
hesitant to invest in anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and also a little pinch of sexism, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> if you look at all the shows that have been, can- late night shows that have been canceled, like, I mean, the Joel McHale show got canceled too, but like the majority of shows that have gotten, late night shows that have gotten canceled in the past few years were women, yeah. women, ho- female hosts. Yeah. So, yeah, I still think there's a long way to go. I mean, uh, Bill Maher going strong. And that cat's had a show for what was he like in thirty years of his show? Or Probably something like, something like oh that. Yeah, God. we had him. We had him as a guest on our show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, I didn't meet him, but he seemed he seemed fine. Yeah. He seemed, I know. Uh, what would you like to be doing next? Um, just any sort. I'd love to really get hard into the narrative world and just kind of because I've done late night and I've done like Adam's. Everything was like slightly narrative, and that was really fun. So, um, yeah, just like staffing on a narrative would be would be really dope. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe okay. some development here and there could be fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're gonna wrap up. Uh, mm-hmm. Would you give me your thoughts on a sketch pitch? Okay, great. Um, so you know, this is great. <laughs> so you know, Dirty Jobs, the show with the Mike, show. whatever, Mike Rowe. Yeah, 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 Mike Rowe. Yeah. The dirty mm-hmm. and uh, uh, weird jobs. Yes. Um, so this would be a parody of that show. A but parody, it, yeah. Yeah, but he doesn't just he doesn't do jobs anymore. He just does disgusting things. <laughs> so he'd like go to a farm. And be like I'm here at this uh, farm. And uh, and like you think he's gonna like do a job, yeah. but then he's like just rub shit all over himself. <laughs> and so yeah, that's like that's very funny. I like that. Yeah, so it's, that's yeah. good. Yeah, I'd love to see how that heightens, and I'd love to right. see where that goes. <laughs> because rubbing shit on yourself is a bold first move, and I love it. I'm very into it. And I, I think to make that the funniest it needs to be is you need to have the full production value of the Dirty Job Show yeah. and like really good camera work and really like, hey, I'm Micro, and I'm here today to like. Uh, to, we're on a farm and I'm gonna rub shit on myself. <laughs> Let's go. You know yeah. that kind of. Yeah. Again, yeah. the tonal contrast. It's a great micro. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I don't even know if that's what he sounds like. I yeah. just did my impression of like an excited white guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I'd love to see how it hides too. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> no, it's a, you should write that. That's really funny. Cool. Yeah. Uh, all right. Thanks for coming. Anything you want to plug? Truly nothing. <laughs> okay. All right. I don't know, like donate money to charities. I'll plug that. Yeah. Yeah. Emily's List is great. There's this thing called Higher Heights, which just supports black women in politics. I donate to that. Um, Black Lives Matter. um, The, uh, what's it called? The, not the ASPCA. What's the one, the one for, I can't remember. (laughs) Not the dog one. The one that is good for people. The ACLU? ACLU, oh, thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, donate to ACLU. That's what I want to plug. <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming by. Yeah, thanks, Al. Thanks for having me. This has been a Boardwalk Audio podcast. For more information and shows, visit BoardwalkAudio.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe now.